We are FBC Summit, leading everyday people to love Jesus and make Him known. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here's our pastor, Dr. Larry LeBlanc. Could you imagine being a couple of teenage Jewish kids and being told from on high that not only were you going to have a child, but it was now your earthly responsibility to raise God. That God Himself would not only be placed inside your womb, but once that child was born, that Mary and Joseph would have the earthly responsibility of taking care of the incarnate Word of God, the divine Logos, Emmanuel, God with us, Christ Himself. I can't imagine what kind of pressure that must have felt like. Because as many of you know, it's enough pressure just knowing that you're trying to raise a regular kid. Amen? I, I don't know if anybody in here that's a parent would tell you that this is an easy deal. And if somebody tells you that it's easy, I would tell you that they're lying to you. It is the best job in the world, but it's also the hardest job in the world. Trying to be a parent and do what God has called you to do is absolutely tough business. And most of us, if we look back before we had kids, all of us thought we were going to be awesome at it. In fact, most people before we had kids wondered why everybody else was so bad at it and why they didn't do it like we would do it. And then all of a sudden, you had one of your own. And you've begun to realize that it's not the cakewalk that maybe you thought it was going to be. But parents, you're not the only ones that have it tough. Kids, I want you to know, and I'm talking to my children in here, the small children that are with us in worship, all the way up to our teenagers and our college students. It's not always easy to be a kid either. It's no cakewalk sometimes trying to figure out what to do and how to grow up and who to be. And so what I know today is as we approach this subject together about God's family plan, is that this applies to every single one of us because every one of you in here has either been a child, is a child, is a parent, or will be a parent. And so what that means is, is that universally, we need to understand that God has a family plan. We've been walking through the book of Colossians together, and as we've been walking through it, we've seen that the theme of the book is the supremacy of Christ. And certainly that is true in every facet of our life, and it is definitely true in our family lives. We saw last week as we started talking about God's family plan, in the very first part of this series, we talked about how God has a plan for marriages, that it is that wives are to submit to their husbands and that husbands are to love their wives and that godly biblical marriages are from the Lord. Well, Paul continues that theme of the family, and today we're going to see that he talks about that there is absolutely a godly way that parents and children should relate to each other. And inside a Christian household, we need to understand what that is supposed to look like. So in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand, and we're going to read two very short verses of Scripture together. But before we ever stand up and read them, if you're a child in here, if you're a teenager, if you're a kid, I want you to do me a favor this morning. Before we ever read this, when we stand up, I want you to be brave enough to ask the Lord to convict you and to teach you some things this morning. 
I want you to ask if you're a kid in here to think about before we ever get started. Or some, there's some things that the Lord wants to show me about how I behave in my home, about how I treat my mama, about how I speak to my dad. Parents, we know that none of us have us figured out. But before we even get started, would you ask the Lord to help you? I don't think that there's a parent in here that would say, I've got it all figured out, and that includes the one that's standing behind this pulpit. But we're all trying to do this together, and we're trying to do the best we can to, re to raise godly children. So I want to ask you that as we stand in just a moment, that you'd ask the Lord to give you a soft heart about what it looks like to not only love your family, but to love them in the most godly way possible. Let's stand together and read these two verses of Scripture. Colossians chapter 3, we'll begin in verse 20. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, for they will become discouraged. Lord, would you teach us today that you do have a family plan, that there's a godly way that parents and children are related to relate to each other. God, I pray today that you would give us soft hearts, that you'd help us to see the ways that we can improve both as children and as parents, and that, Lord, we would be a church, and the way we conduct our lives and our families would bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated. Now, probably, and I got you to do this last week, probably as we read these two very short verses together, you probably could go ahead and give the outline as you read it. And I want us to go ahead and lay the two points that are going to be there on the table, and then we're going to unpack them together. But number one, number one, if you're a child in here and you look at verse 20, what do you think verse 20, what do you think the point of that is? Children, what should you do? Obey your parents. The Bible goes even further to say, because this pleases the Lord. And then secondly, what we see in verse 21 is that parents, we are to nurture our children. We're going to talk about this in just a little bit. You see the word fathers there, and it certainly applies to the male leadership in the home, but universally it, reply, it, it is talking to all parents about what it looks like not to embitter or not to exasperate. So let's get, start back with the first point, and then we'll work our way through it together. Number one, children obey your parents now when it's talking about children here it's talking about any form of dependent if you live at home if you're dependent on your parents if you are a child that is dependent on your parent and especially if you are a child that lives under your parents roof this is talking specifically to you so before we go any further i want us to talk about what this verse does not say it says, children, obey your parents. It does not say, parents, obey your children. Before we get any further, I think we need to talk about an issue that we have in contemporary culture that's bled over into the church. It's an issue that wouldn't have even been seen in the first century because this, this wouldn't even been something that's understood. But culturally, we're dealing with it now. And I call it the deification of the child the deification of the child, or the idolization of the child. We live in a world now in which we have somehow come to believe that the word no is a cuss word when it comes to children. That telling them no about something is something that we're not called upon to do. But what the Bible understands is that in Deuteronomy 6, there is one God, 
And that God is the only one that should be worshipped. It's why the first two commandments deal with idolatry, that you should have no other gods before you and you shouldn't bow down to idols. Well, so because of that, we need a reminder, I believe, in our homes that yes, our children are absolutely a gift from the Lord. They are a blessing. I can't imagine my life without either of my two children, and I am thankful, thankful, thankful for them. But that being said, they're not God. That being said, they are not to be given a position in which they are idolized or put so in front of the family that it becomes that they are now either more important than God himself to the parent or that they are more important than the spouse. Because if that takes place, then is it any wonder why if you take a child and you idolize them to the point that they are not only given what they are wanted, never told no, but they are deified in a way in the house, that if you treat them like that for a month, a year, a decade, and all of a sudden they start acting like little idols and like little gods, we recognize that there needs to be a call on the parental life that when we as parents see this call, we need to recognize that we have to have our homes set up in a way where we are not only asking but demanding that the children do obey and recognize that the hierarchy or the structure given to the home was made that way on purpose. God is an absolute genius. He created the family, and though it seems so simple to us, He gave moms and he gave dads and he gave children and he called it a family unit. Now, we live in a fallen world, so that fallen world is never perfect. But what we do know, and you and I can see this, is that in, the, in trying to raise children, I've got to tell you, as a father, I am so thankful that God gave them a mama. And, and there's a reason for that. I believe this with all of my heart. And, and, and that's not diminishing my role. I'm good at some things, and there's some things I'm not great at. But I see inside of that that there's a structure that's supposed to be placed there because there's things that I would never get done for my children, things that I would never think about, details that wouldn't get done, nurturing that would never take place. And I realize it is so wonderful that God designed this in His infinite wisdom that He'd take two imperfect people, that He'd give them imperfect children, and yet it's a perfect plan. Isn't that amazing? But part of that plan is that if you are a child and you're listening to this sermon today, you need to know that the greatest mission field you have is in your home. I want to be specific with you because if you're old enough to be in this worship service or you're old enough to be listening to it, then you're old enough to understand what I'm about to tell you. To disobey your parents is sin. To treat your parents with contempt is sin. To talk back to your parents is sin. And what we know is, is that when it's talking about honoring your parents, it's not just in how you talk to them, though that's important. It's also in the way that you live your life. You honor your mother and father in the way that you conduct yourself, not only in their presence, but in their absence as well. When you're at school, when you're at church, when you're at other places, are you acting in a way that the Lord and your parents could say, I'm proud of them? Now, that being said, I need to talk to the children in here that have given their lives to Jesus. Some of you in here have been saved and baptized. You've repented of your sin. You've believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've never done that, we can talk about that some more, about what that looks like to be saved. But if you are saved, if you claim to know Christ, 
then it ought to be that that radically changes your relationship with your mom and dad. That the way you now treat them is not just because you are their child, but because you are his child. And because I am his child, there is an honor that is due my parents. Now, understand this. Parents are given some specific calls, but you as children are given some very specific warnings in the Bible as well. In fact, in the Old Testament, what we know is that physically or verbally abusing a parent could actually be punishable by death. But it also makes a very clear statement. In fact, it is the only one of the Ten Commandments with a promise. It's the Fifth Commandment. And do you remember what that commandment says? Honor your mother and father that what? that it may go well with you and that you may live a long life. In other words, how you treat your parents has to do with how you are going to be productive and successful and blessed throughout your life. It is a big, big deal. I know a lot of times when we go to Disciple Nows or we go to youth camps or we hold BBSs, we talk about so many different things and we'll have kids that sometimes come to the altar and they pray together and we'll see tears and we'll see crying over relationships and habits and how they need to have a better walk with the Lord. But I would tell you, first and first and foremost, if your relationship with your parents is not what it should be, then everything else should get on hold until you get that right. What that means is that, that we have some children that are listening to this, that before this message is over, they ought to bow their head and say, God, I am so sorry. It is unacceptable how I've talked to my mama. It is unacceptable the way I've treated my dad. And it ought to be that before the service is over, you apologize to the Lord. And before the day is over, you apologize to your mom and dad. The Bible set makes it very, very clear that your parents are placed there. And parents aren't perfect. And I'll be the first to tell you that. But what I can tell you, and God has really shown me this over the years, is that you will never have bigger fans than your mom and dad. When I tell you they are behind you and want you to succeed, they want you to succeed. Now, does that mean we always make the right choices? Absolutely not. Does that mean that every, when we look back, I'm telling you, when I look back over my fatherhood and even as I look into the future and I'm going to look back and I'm going to say, well, I probably could have played that differently. I may should have done that a little bit differently. But what I know about my wife and I and what I know about you and what I know about your mom and dad is that they're for you. They're for you. Now, I kind of want to relate this because, because I see a lot of this. We live in a world in which I think we forget sometimes that there really are people in our life that want the best for us. Sometimes we see it um, because of the deification of children, the idolization of children. We kind of come into a new world where sometimes we've got these hyper-involved parents and helicopter moms and people that are overly involved in a way that's not healthy. But you take athletics, for example. One thing I believe about just about every coach I've met, and I've had met some good ones, I've met some bad ones, but about coaches in general, if they are coaching, you know what 99.9% .9 of them want to do? Win. They want to win. So sometimes when our children are playing sports, we automatically get this mindset that whoever that it is that's coaching them is against them if they're not getting the time or they're not getting the position that they ought to get. But what I choose to believe 
is that they want to win. Now, they may not always make the right decisions, but they want to be successful. Now, what does that have to do with parenting? Here's what it has to do, kids. Listen to me. Your parents are going to make some decisions for you that sometimes you think, I don't think that's fair. I don't think that's right. Everybody else gets to do this and I don't get to do it. I shouldn't have this limit. I shouldn't be able to do this. I promise you this. The reason your parents are doing it is not because they hate you, but it's actually because they love you. And a parent that disciplines a child is a parent that loves a child. A parent that refuses to discipline a child, the Bible says you hate your kid. Isn't that amazing? The Bible says you actually hate your kid if you refuse to discipline. And so as we look at it, I want to remind you if you're a teenager or something, because I feel like I should have been reminded. I don't know if I'd have believed it if somebody would have told me this, but I'm going to tell you anyway, because I really did believe in my teenage years that my parents knew nothing. And I believed that they had never experienced anything like what I was experiencing, that they'd never been through anything like what I had been through, that they didn't understand anything that I was feeling. And now I'm old. And what I can tell you is this. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, there is nothing new under the sun. And what does that mean? It means that the reason that your parents are making decisions for you and warning you about things is not because they're oblivious to what you're going through. It's that they know exactly what you're going through. And so as a child, what we have, our responsibility is to believe that my parents want the absolute best for me. And unless they are asking me to do something that is strictly contradicting the word of God, then my answer is yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, sir, or no, ma'am. And by the way, I'm so thankful to live in an area where we still teach those things. Kids, I want you to know that when we're told to say please, and we're told to say thank you, and we're told to say yes, sir, and we're told to say no, sir, those are big deals. Those are big deals. But I want you to think about this. We demand that you be polite to your teachers and to your coaches and to the people that are in your life. It ought to be that there is not a person in your life that receives more respect than your mother or your father receives in the way that you relate to them, in the way that you talk to them. Yes, that includes the way you speak, but that also includes body language. Uh-oh. In other words, flouncing off, slamming doors, rolling eyes, unacceptable unacceptable so when we think about what this looks like what we know is that god placed the design and so because of that children are to obey their parents but not only should children obey their parents but parents it says we are to nurture our children there it says fathers in the greek there certainly it is talking about dads but that word is also used for the parental unit as a whole so specifically to dads but parents in general you have a job not to embitter your children, not to exasperate your children. And so the flip side of that would be the word nurture. And so this seems like it's so simple. But in the first century, this command was very hard to take because children were considered property. In fact, a man, when he was married, the wife was seen as subservient and a child was meant to be seen and never heard. A child was owned by the father. So for the father to be told 
to be nurturing and not exasperating. In other words, don't always be harsh. Your whole world shouldn't be about commands, but it ought to be that you care about the child and you express that. That was an earth-changing thought. In fact, when Jesus, we see little pictures of it in Sunday school classes, and so we don't think about it a lot. But when Jesus said, suffer or allow the little children to come unto me, that was earth-shattering because no grown man or a rabbi would have taken time out of his day to have spent time with little children because that would have been seen as beneath him. And so in this command and in Jesus' actions, what we're seeing is that Jesus was coming before and helping us to understand that all throughout the Old Testament, men were given the responsibility of passing the faith along. Joel 1.3 Tell it to your children and let your children tell it to their children and their children to the next generation. So what that means, dads, is that you are a link in the chain. That it's not only your children, but your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren and that you have a high calling that is on your life and that it absolutely matters. Now what's fascinating about that is that when it comes to dads, that you, I think we have forgotten to remind men that you are absolutely essential in the home. I want to applaud. There are so many single mothers out there, and they are doing absolutely all they can. And it's incredible to see what is accomplished by women who do not have any help in the home. But what I want you to know, Dad, men that are listening today, is that you were placed in your home on purpose and no one wields the power and the influence that you do. That is designed by God and no matter how much our culture or our society wants to diminish the role of men, I would submit to you that the greatest problem that we have in the United States is a problem of fatherhood. We talk about so many issues and they stack up, but I'm telling you that all of those issues would fall dim if we had men called to be men of God who were stepping up to be men in their family, to take care of their wives, to love their children. It is God's simple but perfect design. So I want you to know, men, don't let anyone lie to you. You are significant, you are important, and your life and your fatherhood has purpose in the home. But even with that, you know they say that the, the average, even church teens, spend about two minutes a day in meaningful dialogue with their dad. About two minutes a day. Now, several years ago, I would have found that staggering. I would have said, I am knocking it out of the park. But then I got teenagers. And so I've gone to people that I know, people that I love, people that I trust, that I think are good parents, and I've asked. And I've said, I'm just wondering, at sometimes in your home, do your children go into their rooms and close the door and just come out for feeding? And they said, oh, yeah, 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 that, that, that's normal. And so what I'm recognizing is, is that we're all in this together. Teenagers are in it with parents. And what you guys need to know is that We've never parented teenagers before either. We're figuring it out, right? We're doing the best that we can. And so with that, 
What does it look like? What does it really look like in the home not to embitter or not to exasperate a child? Number one, we've talked about this briefly, but if you want to embitter a child, don't discipline them. Don't discipline them. Let them do whatever they want to do. Spoil them rotten. Give them everything they ask for. Never tell them no. And raise a brat. Lack of discipline. That's a great way to exasperate or embitter a child. Number two, way to exasperate a child is when we are constantly blaming them and we refuse to ever give them praise. Now, there are times in our life where our children, absolutely, they've got to be told the hard truth. But one thing that I think we should always do is work to never cut our children down in front of anybody else in public. That they ought, that ought to be off the table. Number three, if you want to exasperate your children, be inconsistent. Be inconsistent. In other words, have them just know that I have no idea what tomorrow is going to be like. I don't know if I did this tomorrow, if I'd get the same punishment that as I got today. If you want to exasperate or embitter your child, be inconsistent. Show favoritism among your children if you want to exasperate them. Don't keep your promises if you want to exasperate or embitter your child. And make light of their problems. You want to embitter your child, make light of their problems. Adults in here, just recently, past few months or past couple of years, have you been through anything that when you got on the backside of it, you kind of almost laughed and said, I shouldn't have made as big a deal about that as I did. I shouldn't have been as worried about that as I was. I was way too anxious about that and kind of took care of itself. I think all of us can say, absolutely, probably this week you've done that. Well, I want you to multiply that because when we talk about teenagers especially, but children in general, everything is changing in their world at such a rapid pace. And especially when you get to the junior high and early high school years, what you've got is you've got hormones, you've got puberty, you've got all of that that's coming as well. And what happens, and this is, this is absolutely the biology of the human brain. This isn't a theory. Because your brain is changing so rapidly, what happens with teenagers is they have higher highs and lower lows. You know what I'm talking about? In other words, when you're a teenager and something great happens, you are on the top of the world. It's, it's more excited than you'll ever feel as an adult. But when it bottoms out, when things don't go well, the lows are extremely low. And what I think what we're trying to do to not embitter or not exasperate is realize that if it's important to your kid, it ought to be important to us. If it's important to them, make it important to you. And that's sometimes a lot of work because sometimes you're listening or you're seeing what's going on. You're thinking, this ain't going to matter next week. But guess what? It's not next week. It's today. And because it's today, we need to be very careful with that. If you want to exasperate your children, push them beyond their own believable achievement ability. In other words, Put so much pressure on them that they would never live up to what you expect them to be able to do. Now, that requires us not to see children through rose-colored glasses because everybody, all of us suffer from this. We all think our kids, we don't see flaws. We don't see problems. We don't see faults. 
So sometimes what that causes us to do is put so much pressure on them that it's ridiculous. And I just want to be straight with you, parents. When you look at your spouse or, or your children's parents and you say, listen, the two of us added together, IQ-wise, I'm not going to throw a number out there. I'm just going to say, you honestly say, you know what? When I look at the two of us, neither one of us are astrophysicists. But I somehow have convinced myself that little Johnny is the next Einstein. That is ridiculous. And by the way, and this is a hard thing for people to bear, if you nor your wife have any extreme athletic ability, if you couldn't run out of sight, if you've got a two-inch vertical, if you are, do not have any reflexes, and the two of you came together and made a baby, why in the world do you think that kid is LeBron James? Why do you think he's going to throw a 100-mile-an-hour fastball? Why is it that you have convinced yourself that he is going to be the next Heisman Trophy winner? Sometimes, parents, I think we need a little realistic realism about ourselves. It doesn't mean that they're wonderful people, not wonderful people, but we want to look at them and say, I want to set you up for success. And one of the ways I set you up for success is to have realistic expectations of you as a human being. Does that make sense? Some of you are thinking, he's be quiet. I don't care if I am 5'2". My kid's going to be 6'8". I get you. I hear you. Make five, if you want to exasperate them, make them feel unwanted. Make them grow up too fast. We need to know that how we handle our kids' lives, how we handle their hearts, shapes them forever. Everybody know who John Newton is in here? To him, Amazing Grace, he's the writer. I saw a quote by him years ago, and it kind of stuck to my bone. He said, I know my father loved me, but he did not seem to wish me to see it. I know my father loved me, but he did not seem to wish me to see it. How tragic of a statement is that? When all throughout Scripture, what we see is the model for a parent, and especially a father, to place a blessing on their child, to pass the blessing down. When Jacob gathers his 12 sons together, he places his hand physically on them, and he blesses them. And then the one passage of Scripture that is absolutely stuck with me about parenting actually comes from the New Testament, and it's when Jesus begins his public ministry, and he walks into the water, and he gets his cousin, John the Baptist, to baptize him. And when Jesus is baptized, there is an audible voice that comes from heaven, and the heavenly Father above says what? He says, this is my son. In other words, he is who he says he is. He is my son. And then he said two things. He said, whom I love and I am well pleased. I wrote down years ago when we had our kids, after the sight, that God the Father found it necessary to tell the Son of God that he loved him and that he was proud of him. So you know what we do at our house? And we mess up a lot. But there's something that we do a lot at our house. We say two phrases. We say, I love you, 
and we say, I'm proud of you. And I believe that if Jesus needed to hear it from his father, and they were both perfect, then maybe, just maybe, a fallen dad needs to speak those words to his fallen kids. I love you, and I'm proud of you. Now, I want you to know something. For a lot of people in here, it may be that y'all say, I love you all the time. Keep on doing it. I believe that there is power in speaking those words. I love you. Now, sometimes all you may get back is a grunt. Or it may be said so quickly in passing that it's hard to even understand the syllables. But I want you to know that that's okay. There's power. There's power in those words. I love you. And I'm proud of you. So what does it look like, especially fathers now, to pass on a blessing to both sons and daughters? Well, let's talk about young men for just a minute. If you've got a son, you've got a grandson, and this is for when they're very small all the way up to their adult men, they are looking to have one question answered by a father or a male figure in their life. And here's the question. Do I have what it takes? Do I have what it takes? It's the reason when you're sitting in the den and your child is five, they come a cozy you off the couch, dad. It's the reason they want to wrestle. It's the reason they come out of their room with plastic swords swinging at you. It's the reason that when they ride their bike, they ride it faster than they absolutely should ride it. It's the reason that every time they get on the field somewhere, they look over and sometimes strike out because they're trying to see if their dad's watching. And the reason is, is because built in to the human psyche, built into every little boy and eventually every grown man is the wanting to have that question answered, do I have what it takes? The worst fear in a boy's life and a man's life is the fear of failure, of not being able to make an impact. So for some fathers, there may not be a negative answer, but there's no answer at all. I want you to know something. Dads, listen to me. Your words make an enormous difference. Children with father problems, 63% more likely to run away, 37% more likely to abuse drugs, two times more likely to drop out of school, two times more likely to end up in jail, four times more likely to need psychiatric help. If you don't think you matter, it's proven. They did a study of 17 kids, students, that went in and shot up schools. Shot their own classmates. And they're trying to figure out, what is, is there some common linkage? Something that we can say, okay, this was an issue with all of them. Something that we could remedy. And do you know the only common denominator they found? Only one. Among the 17 kids they studied that went in and shot schools, do you know the one common denominator? A father problem. A father problem. Friends, you make a difference. And in young men's lives, we need to be the one that are answering the question. You have what it takes. That's the way we pass on the blessing. But for young ladies, they need a question answered too. But their question is a little bit different than young men. And you see it. When little girls get old enough, even when they first start walking and start talking, and they come into their dads and they put on dresses and they spin around and they want to have dress-up days and they want flowers and they want to have tea parties. And the whole time, 
They are wanting one question answered for their father. Am I lovely? Am I a young lady who is worth fighting for? And dads, you have to answer the question. One of the things that scared me more than anything in my own fatherhood is that somehow I would have a daughter that wouldn't have her question answered by me because they're going to look for someone else to answer the question. So the reason that we infuse them with telling them not only that we love them and that we're proud of them, but that they're lovely and that they're beautiful and that they have what it takes is because, Dad, your words matter. This is how much it matters. A young lady who doesn't have a father figure in their life who is answering that question is two and a half times more likely to get pregnant out of wedlock, 53% more likely to commit suicide. You see, friends, children have an obligation to obey their parents, but parents, we have an absolute obligation to nurture our children in the Lord. So if you're going to be a better child, and you're going to be a better parent, there's a few things that you have to do. Number one, your relationship with your parent and your relationship with your child is not going to improve if your relationship with the Lord doesn't. You need to know the Word yourself. You need to cultivate your faith. You need to teach by example. And you need to remember what I'm about to tell you. It's not too late. Some of you are thinking about all the mistakes. I can't tell you. These sermons are difficult to preach and to study. The ones that are on marriage and the ones that are on children. And the, one of the reasons that they're so difficult is because if you're halfway honest at all and not a complete hypocrite, all you do is just see all your faults. Like you just spend two weeks just raking myself over the coals. And so one thing I'm thankful for is that sometimes even though I've been through bad chapters, it's not the end of the book. I'm thankful for grace. I'm thankful for forgiveness. I'm thankful that even though I'm not a perfect father, I have a perfect father in heaven. I'm thankful that when my parent, when my children look at me, they could pick you out a thousand flaws. But maybe if I've messed up in a hundred other ways, maybe at least I know that I've pointed them to where they can find the perfect one and where they can find one who is without flaw. You see, friends, one of the things that we talked about when we talk about parents and children is we need to bring up the word repentance. And what that means is, is that some of you, the children that are listening to me today, some of you I mentioned before we ever got started, seriously, you need to ask God's forgiveness for how you've acted inside your home and with your mom and dad. But you don't let it need to become night today before you go to them and just look at somebody and say, Dad, I'm sorry. Mom, I'm sorry. Parents, same thing goes for us. Sometimes it's swallowing a mouthful to look at our kids and say, I messed up. But you know what I think? What I hope is that our children aren't expecting perfection out of us, but they want to know that we're doing the best we can. And we're trying to serve the Lord and we're trying to serve them. You remember me telling you, told you this many times, that a lot of times when I'm preparing sermons, songs come into my mind. 99% of the time they're Christian songs. Sometimes they're hymns. Sometimes they're newer release songs. And something in the text will jump out and it would just cause that song to kind of reverberate in my mind. Well, over the past couple of weeks, especially in thinking about children and all that goes with that, 
Um, there's a song that wouldn't quit playing in my mind. Some of you are going to know it, know it well. It rose to the top of the charts. I think the song came out in 1988, so it's old. It is by a group some of you may never have heard of called Mike and the Mechanics. And there's an expression in that song that, that I think really calls on all of us to think about the way we're living today, the way we're living in this life, how we're making the most of the opportunity with the relationships that God has given us. This is a verse from the song. I wasn't there that morning when my father passed away, and I didn't get to tell him all the things I had to say. I think I caught his spirit later that same year, and I'm sure I heard his echo in my baby's newborn tears. But I just wish I could have told him in the living years. You know, one thing that's beautiful about this moment right now is that you're in the living years. And I don't know how long that either any of you are blessed with that, but I can tell you that the Bible tells us, in fact, in just a little while in Colossians in verse four, chapter 4, verse 5, make the most of every opportunity. If God has so richly blessed you to have children, I don't care how old they are, thank God for them and do the very best you can by the Lord. If God has blessed you to have parents, then you be a person that in the living years you recognize that your mom and dad aren't perfect. Nobody is, but that they love you and that you're going to do the very best that you can to be a child that brings honor to God in the way that you live your life and the way that you treat your mom and dad. I'm calling on you right now, number one, to look at your relationship with the Lord because if that relationship's not right, none of the rest of these relationships are going to be right. 